Welcome back, everyone. My name is Kelly. And my name is Becky. You're listening to Tune Into Nature. Today's episode, we're going to focus on diversity and inclusivity initiatives with the natural resources through a conservation of Dr. Ricky Frierson, the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Warner College. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and how you got to the position you have now, Ricky? Sure. Uh, thank you for having me today. Uh, my name is Dr. Ricky Frierson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Warner College of Natural Resources here at Colorado State. And um, came here from Houston, Texas prior to. And, you know, the reason why I got into this work is one, I am not that well versed in natural resources myself. I am a city guy through and through. But I do believe uh, when you deal with aspects of diversity, equity and inclusion, that's a human construct that can be applied to any domain, discipline, or topical area that is uh, utilized on a, college, on a college campus. And so for me, um, I really believe me taking on this role and trying to figure out ways to diversify um, natural resources as an industry would be a learning curve for me to learn more about natural resources, but also for our college, our faculty and staff and our students to learn more about how to connect and speak to kids who are from the city as to the relevance and awareness of natural resources applicable to where they live every day. And so that's the challenge I come in with every day and the perspective is to learn, but also how to translate the importance to urban and um, diverse communities that might not have that tangible connection to natural resources that is typically seen and thought of. Wow, thank you for that. I just want to take it back a little bit to what you were saying um, about diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI. Yeah. Uh, and what does that mean to you? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it, well, right now, it, what it, I'll tell you what it does not mean. It's easy, it's easy to tell you what something means by telling you what it does not mean. It's not a cliche action word. It's a way of life. And so being open-minded to understanding that when you're dealing with diversity, equity, inclusion, number one, diversity is dealing with difference. And so um, you don't want everyone to think the same. You don't want every, you know, what I call a bunch of bobbleheads. You don't want anyone to agree with you. You want difference of opinions, difference of, of thought. And it's good to have differences. That's why we think about sports. You know, you have differences in sports teams and the fans and, and the differences in academia because it's good to have different uh, niches. Um, when we think about equity, it's about what do we, what resources are needed to bring someone to um, an equitable standard. And so what I mean by that is, you know, the difference is sometimes people get equality and equity confused. Equality is if I give everyone shoes. Equity is I give you shoes that fit your feet. You know, I wear a size 16 shoe. So if someone gives me a, a, a 10 that's not going to work. I got a pair of shoes, but that's not equity. And so equity is making sure I give you the shoes that fit. And then uh, inclusion is knowing how to uh, be valid and authentic in representing and appreciating the differences that we have amongst each other and really making sure that we're not discounting those because of their differences. And so I say all that to say is that um, I think a lot of times people think about it as a harmony, harmony thing, and that's ultimately a goal you want to achieve. But at the same time, because it's difference, what you want to do is learn how to have an open mind and understand where someone else is coming from as far as perspective, lived experiences. And it's okay to disagree still. You know, the one adage I always use is that I'm not going to like pineapple on pizza. It's okay for me to disagree <laughs> with someone who likes pineapple on pizza, but it's not okay for me to just write it off and never have tried it 
um, not listen to the person about why they like it, et cetera. So that's how I look at diversity, equity, inclusion. Thanks for all those awesome descriptions and kind of giving some more insight to those terms. Um, so how did you get involved in pursuing DEI work and what's your background there? Yeah, so my my work career is vast and, and uh, extensive. So I, I first started out working with the federal government, uh, with the Department of Defense, and then I moved over to social work, actually, after I got out of the government sector. And um, from social work, I moved to higher education. So when I'm looking at all three of those experiences, I got to see the different aspects of our society. And so um, what I realized very quickly, and also, also mentioned I'm a military brat, so I moved around the world very quickly. So what I realized is that we might have differences of language, differences of culture, nationality, but uh, when you go down to basics, we really have the same as far as that we have pride in unity. Uh, almost anybody, no matter where they're from, they're happy of their neighborhood, they're prideful of their state, they're prideful of their country, uh, no matter what country it is or their language or whatever the case may be. And so we have some common aspects of pride and, and passion of where we come from and how we um, grew up as far as uh, um, our, our development. And so uh, being exposed to these different things and being, you know, living in Germany and Mexico and doing work in Africa and Taiwan, it really gave me appreciation to love language gave me appreciation to understand that differences are typically um, minor when you know how to deal with them, but they can be major if you don't know how to deal with differences in a, in a constructive and positive way. And so because of that, I really like to bring people together and um, highlight our differences, but highlight our similarities even more so, so that we could collectively come together. And so, you know, I think about an analogy, so I'm, I, I, I've dubbed myself the king of analogies, so just FYI. So um, the thing of an analogy about differences in inclusion and things like that, um, if you think about the ingredients that you need to make a cake, that's diversity, you know? It's eggs is different than flour, flour is different than butter, so on and so forth. But the final product, the cake, when you open, when you cut that one slice of cake, you don't see the egg, the vanilla, the flour, but you know those ingredients was needed to make that slice of cake happen. And you needed to go through the proper heating to make that cake happen. And so sometimes you do have a little bit of a conflict, but the end product is what you want. So that slice of cake is inclusion. The ingredients is diversity. I love that analogy. That was awesome. <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. Um, I loved how you explained that. So um, kind of tying all of this in and all of your experiences um, to natural resources, why do you think that DEI is so important to improve? proven natural resources in the outdoor recreation and what are the issues in natural resources? Well, I think it's important because it's one, you know, for natural resource industry, it's a stigma that has been allowed to persist that minorities are not interested in natural resources, that this chasm or disconnect between urban communities and natural resources. Um, and I stated earlier that I don't know that much about it because I come from the city. But it does not mean that just all city people are not engaged with natural resources. And so I think one thing we need to realize is that the histories that we teach about natural resources have been um, very uh, majority centric, um, very whitewashed in its curriculum and development. And so we need to really bring back uh, some of the contributions that ethnic populations and underrepresented populations have provided towards natural resources that are not often told. So one thing I'll state to um, our 
faculty is um, well not always, but I'm beginning to state this to our faculty and our students is that it's not that you're taught incorrectly, it's just that you're taught incompletely because you're not getting the full perspective of all the contributions, number one. And then number two, when you look at natural resources, you can't tell me that minorities and uh, underrepresented people are not interested because natural resources is literally something that is global. And so I don't think America is the only nation that teaches natural resources, right? So if I go to South America or African countries, or if I go to Europe or Asia and I go to a university, someone's going to have something around natural resources. The fact that it's a global um, resource that is used by humanity, that is needed by humanity to force to survive as a species, it's incumbent on us as America to really make those intentional connections to all demographics so that we all have an understanding and a buy-in to become human stewards of the natural resources that we hold today. So that's my idea of to construct and to dismantle the stigma that minorities are not interested. Um, we have a number of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities that teach our natural resource programs. We have a number of tribal colleges that teach natural resource programs. We have a, a number of anapesi colleges um, that teaches um, natural resource programs, anapesi meaning um, Asian American Native uh, Native, Native Island, uh, Native American and Pacific Islander uh, designation. So we have these constructs that teach, and more so, I would argue that there's a lot of um, histories that detail to us that these urban communities and underrepresented communities and ethnic populations were deeply connected to um, their the lands and natural resources prior to uh, colonialism. So. You know, we just have to really go back through the history to see the contributions and really tell the full story of the contributions of um, these uh, ethnic uh, ethnic groups. So along the lines of a lot of natural resources you mentioned being whitewashed, that kind of ties into the idea that leadership's been historically viewed with a certain lens that favors a lot of dominant identities. Have you seen a paradigm shift in people holding leadership positions and how would you like to see it shift more? I uh, So kudos to Colorado State. I can't say I've seen a paradigm shift nationally. I think it's beginning to happen. Obviously, we've come through a tumultuous summer uh, with a lot of social injustice that has awakened a lot of different areas of um, academic disciplines across the nation. Um, but to answer your question, I know our college and I know our dean of our college, Dean John Hayes, is proactive in trying to really dismantle this Um and really changed the paradigm that we have within natural resources here at Colorado State and to be a leading institution, a leading college to, um, to make that change nationally and show how to make that change effectively and implement new process ideas, new ways to hire, new ways to teach, new ways to educate our students and give them practical research agendas that have a diverse viewpoint and looking at grants that have uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion deeply embedded in its uh, profile and in its, um, um, and in its grants, in, in its grants, I'm sorry. And so I think, you know, um, I can't speak for the total industry, but I know we are trying to, at Colorado State, at Warner College of Natural Resources, we are deeply connected and committed to being that initial change agent for the nation to follow. Wow, that just made me so proud of our college. <laughs> I love that. Um, kind of going along with that and what CSU is doing with um, DEI and I guess other places around Colorado, what um, initiatives are happening in WCNR? And I remember you, when we talked, we were talking before this podcast, you mentioned other nonprofits like the Black Path 
Packers and stuff like that. Could you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, so we have a uh, our college official is a official sponsor of a Black Packers, which is a um, nonprofit organization in the Denver metro area that's um, owned by a minority African American woman, Patricia Cameron. Uh, shout out to Patricia; she she listens to this. Um, who's really working on um, engaging uh, underrepresented families and helping them give them the tools, the training, the education, um, and, and creating fun experiences for them to have outdoor recreation experiences um, and really looking at it from a family construct of not only educating the child, but educating the parents so that there's a, under, a common understanding within that family on how to properly uh, recreate outdoors, number one. So we have that. Um, we are doing some um, outreach to our historically black colleges and our tribal colleges as well to really help get um, students um, advanced education and degrees and natural resources. We have um, various numbers of trainings that we do to really educate on how to deal with um, issues when you're out in the field training or you're out in a rural area and there's some kind of uh, incident that happens, how to deal with uh, um, disagreements not um, in a peaceful manner. We have um, a Spanish language team that we're really working on and being inclusive in our language and in our profiles and our brochures that we hand out to our Hispanic communities because we understand that the cultural identity there is more a collective and family based. And so we want to make sure that we give materials that speak in their primary language and that we're not just speaking to the student, but speaking to families to really engage them um, as a community about why the resources is important and how this education for their son or daughter can really advance um, the education for the community. Um, we also want to really work on providing um, substantial and, and, and adequate um, financial packages for our students because we don't want our students, you know, colleges are getting expensive every year and we don't want our students to have to be in a bind by trying to manage and, and deal with a lot of work and school. So we want to provide financial packages to where these students can really focus on getting that education and advance their career so that they can give back to the community so that they can provide for their families without having a lot of loan, uh, loan debt on the back end of it. And so um, we just have a lot of different things going on. <laughs> you know, we have a website that provides uh, trainings. We have a, uh, implicit bias trainings. We have a website that provides videos. We have a calendar event system that kind of lets our faculty and staff students know what we're doing. Uh, every second Friday, I do a lunch and learn with our faculty and staff around a topic. Um, every Wednesday, the last Wednesday of every month, we do a town hall where we try to bring students, faculty, and staff together to talk about a said topic. Um, we try to provide cultural significance and work really hand in hand with our cultural centers on our campus to make sure that not only are we highlighting the events that they're doing, but we're also uh, providing that education of historical contributions and we're doing it in a way that is accurate in tone and representation and voice of the ethnic uh, group that we're representing. So that, that way is modernized. It's not just based on historical things that happened, but things that are happening today in the present. Wow, that sounds like all really awesome things that you and the college are working on. And so I think when prospective students and current students who listen to this, um, when it gets released, I think they're going to want to know how to get involved. So how do you think students can get started in their personal social justice or journey and kind of get their foot in the door of being a good ally and gaining education on these topics? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost for us, for the college and for our students that's from Warner College or Colorado State who wants to be involved in this, is to view our website. You can go to Water and College of Natural Resources at the Colorado State website and then uh, click on the diversity and inclusion tab that's at the top right hand corner. You'll see the list of events that we're holding where you see the articles that we're publishing to advance your knowledge and your personal knowledge about natural resources intersecting with, natural, um, with uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, but if you're looking at a, a more broader base, you know, I think some things to do is just, you know, it does take a little time, but if you're, if you're trying to be involved on a broader base on campus, connect with our cultural center. You know, we have them there on campus and a lot of our students do not um, connect with them in the way that they probably should in which to know about the events, to sit there and learn and to be educated from a different viewpoint about issues and that's going on and ways to be involved. Um, you can always, um, look for and talk to um, organizations, community organizations, or reach my office, or, um, our career service office, or organizations that are passionate about advancing DEI efforts in the organization around natural resources. Because what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're educating um, our students in a way that they not only are versed in understanding the multiple identities that have constructed natural resources and contributed to it, but they also know how to become an advocate and champion when they get to a destination work spot, um, knowing how to properly allocate and, and not allocate, but advocate for advancements in DEI efforts at that organization, because that's something that I think a lot of our natural resource organizations are looking for now is uh, individuals who can really help advance that that measurement and that activity for their organizations to excel in the future. So that's one thing. And then just do, you know, a simple Google search in, in your local community about organizations that are trying to really be involved in, in providing opportunities to communities and, and, and groups that, to really help and broaden your own, but back to your community in a way that's beneficial for all. So obviously you're very passionate about everything that you do. Um, I was just wondering, what's your favorite part of this job? <laughs> um, so I actually, you know, uh, if, I wish we had students here so they can tell you what my favorite part is because they will tell you I'm very, very passionate. Um, I like to be around the students. The students keep me young and I really feel like I'm a big kid at heart and I like to be young and goofy and I like to play around and joke behind the scenes as much as possible. But um, my, my passion is to really help people get to that level of understanding that they're just seeking for themselves personally and, and really help our students advance their careers and give them to um, eliminate any roadblocks in their education and understanding about diversity, equity, inclusion, interest in natural resources so that they know and that they get that proper comprehensive education, proper comprehensive support to go out and, and make a change in the world. So. That's my passion is to really, I can speak to students all day long. Um, some teachers have put, uh, faculty members have put me to the test and I have back-to-back -back presentations and I still have energy because I, I literally get energy from the students. I'm sure the students wish you were there too. I wish we could <laughs> do this in person as well. Um, so kind of looking forward into what's next, what do you think is the biggest issue we're facing right now that can be either in the college specifically at CSU as a whole, or even larger than that? I think the biggest issue, quite frankly, is that there's a little too much um, wanting to hold hands and not wanting to self-educate and do some lift individually. Um, you know, I always tell people, if we're gonna build something, bring your tool first, and then I'll let you know if your tool's right or wrong. But don't come and not bring a tool and then ask me what tool you should have brought. Bring something first, you know, bring the education 
in that peace that you have, bring that research, bring that desire first and let me see what you have. And it's my job to help mold or correct, you know, if you, if you got the wrong tool to build what we're trying to build. And so I think first we need to make sure that our groups are built into making sure that they are uh, committed to the individuals is committed to the community process of, of edifying our college. And I think that's the big thing. And I think the second big thing is that, um, there's a lot of work to fulfill the gaps of that have been not taught historically about natural resources. So going back and getting these historical stories, these historical figures, so that students can see there was an immense amount of contributions that are going through. And so um, I didn't mention, but one thing that we do to do that is our untold story series, where we go back and highlight um, individuals of uh, ethnic descent and um, nationalities and communities that have significance around natural resource constructs. That's the biggest issue. I think um, the second one is um, complacency. You know, um, you think about what happened over this summer and after a while it's happened so much, people just become complacent to it. And, you know, for me personally, I understand why people are emotional about it. Um, but emotions are temporary. <laughs> they switch from day to day. And so, you know, when people cry or, or there's tears or people are upset and scream, that does nothing for me personally, honestly, because that's an emotion that's happening for that moment. What does it for me is accountability and action. So if you're upset about something that's moved you to tears, what's your actions behind that? That's going to last and be sustainable for the next six months because it's amazing how quickly we forget everything that's happened over the summer. But these are these incidences that happen in these um, a lack of education that happen. These impact certain identities for a long time beyond just the emotional response that happened temporarily. So really making sure that we um, are not um, complacent, but continuously looking for and being active on ways we can grow and understand. And so, you know, my, I, I sum it up in this one sentence. Um, we, we should never let tradition become a prisoner of innovation. So we've always done things a certain way. We have a culture, but don't let the tradition of our culture be a prisoner of the innovation that we need to be sustainable in the future. So um, let's not have tr uh, tradition be a prisoner of innovation. Wow, that is very powerful. Thank you for that. Um, kind of totally switching gears from what we've already been discussing. Um, I just wanted to ask you, how have virtual events changed your engagement through the pandemic? Ah, they have this uh, virtual uh, virtual events are very, very hard to um, keep students engaged, keep some of our faculty engaged. I mean, you think about, you know, you, you ask yourself, what was your usage on the computer pre-COVID, right? Do you remember how often you were on the computer? And now, you know, you have students, faculty, we're literally on computers and meetings um, back to back to back for eight hours a day, and then you have an event for 90 minutes or an hour, and you're asking students to stay on for another hour. And so I totally get it. You know, you're, you're tapped out. You don't want to be on the computer no more. And so our virtual engagement is hard. And obviously, we have to follow safety guidelines to make sure that we don't have in-person events to spread this, this, um, this virus. But it has um, significantly reduced our student participation. So I'm going to say this since we're recording. And for this podcast, I need students to show up to the events because it's the students that lead change. My, my, I get my energy from them. Um, we really try to respond to what the students are seeking within Warner College. And so I, I definitely need students to, to be engaged more. But 
we understand for this first semester, no one knew how it was going to go, what the protocol was going to be. So, and there was just a lot of stressors, not uh, even external um, to the college experience. So, you know, we're hopeful and we're optimistic that in the spring, now that everyone has a semester in the belt and know how to navigate this this virtual space we're in, um, and hopefully COVID with the vaccinations um, kind of uh, is gets uh, dismantled quickly so we can return back to an in-person. But yeah, so our, our engagement is tough to come by right now, being strictly virtual. Well, hopefully after people hear this podcast, they'll show up a little more. And kind of going along that uh, path of the impacts of COVID, how has your experience as a staff member during this pandemic changed? It hasn't really changed other than you want to, you know, you, um, I guess you you maximize your time a little better. It used to be before COVID, you have to walk from one building to another building. So that's like a 10 minute walk, five minute walk. And now you just hit a button and you're in another meeting, right? And so you can literally be done at, you know, at one meeting at 1059 and hit a button, be writing your next meeting at 11. So, um, you get to optimize your time. Um, it is a little challenging, you know, we, I, I do want to uh, be mindful of not every experience is the same. You know, I have some young kids and, and I know some of our faculty have young kids at home. And so, you know, navigating the, the in-school experience with working at the same time is different when you're at home 24-7 and you don't really have a respite place to go to kind of decompress because your your office space is your home space now. And so that's that's um, a, a challenge. But for me, the most part is just constantly staying in communication with our, our faculty, our, our staff, um, just through emails or through Microsoft Teams or through these kind of uh, interactions. Uh, I do miss, you know, taking people out to lunch and having lunch meetings to really get to know them better. But this is only temporary. So I'm, I'm going to say optimistic. So I always tell people. Just because we're socially distanced doesn't mean we need to be socially distant, which is we can still be connecting through virtual platforms to connect with one another. Yeah, that is very true. I definitely miss my little 10 minute walks to class and like getting outside and stuff yeah. like that. Um, it's hard because I feel that I'm in my kitchen doing my homework like 10 hours on the computer every day and it's so hard but that's just kind of what we have to do with these things so kind of going into that what do you do for self-care in these stressful times yeah that's that's a great question right um you know for me i, I try to do you know it's, it's harder right now as the season's changing and it's getting colder outside but i try to bike i use i'm an avid gym rat like being in the gym, working out and doing exercise, but with the gyms closed because of COVID, that's hard. So I try to do some activities at home um, and just get away and, and travel, but we can't really travel. So I try to just drive in the car. I literally just get my kids in the, in the car and we just drive through the mountains or we drive down and just drive somewhere just to see something different and get around and, and, and stay in the car for the most part. But um, the, mo- the main thing I try to do is exercise and, and, um, and bike. Those are the two main things I try to do. My family, my family has also liked just getting in the car Saturday or Sunday mornings and just driving into the mountains a bit and getting some coffee somewhere. Yeah. Through, of course, but that's, that's literally what we do. Yeah. We literally this past weekend just got in the car and drove down to I-25 and just drove back up I-25. That's all we did. <laughs> we just drove on the highway and just to just get away, get out the house, you know, and uh, 
you know, just see different sceneries and see different neighborhoods and things that you probably wouldn't see. And so that's all we do. That's what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of going back to the when we were talking about engagement, obviously there's been some community that hasn't been as strong this semester. But has there been any communities or resources for you that have gotten stronger and built a little bit more of community or friendship during these times? Um, are you talking about like personal work, work, work related wise? Yeah, any silver linings um, you might have. Well, you know, I, I think one silver lining is definitely that. So one one positive with this virtual connection space is that it's easier to connect with faculty or our colleagues in other states, right? So again, it's just a click of a button. It's easy to have guest lectures from other universities or um, to to meet with people when you're just doing it virtually. Whereas, you know, before COVID, you had to schedule time and flights, and that was you know really time management and and expensive to fly someone out and stay in a hotel to talk to them, you know, those kind of things where you just hit a button now. So, you know, this is an opportunity for our staff, for our students to really connect with student groups, um, national communities, global communities, through a click of a button, you know. Um, I'm on a national um, institute for diversity officers. I'm on a national call uh, every two weeks with uh, diversity officers all across the nation. And so it's easy to do when it's virtual, whereas it would've been harder to kind of like uh, the logistics of getting by everybody scheduled and meet in person would've been really, really difficult. And so that's one benefit of it, um, I, I would think. Um, another benefit of it is that um, our academic community, we've been forced now through COVID, we've been forced to think of, of alternative ways to educate our students, to connect with our students, uh, to give flexibility for our students' scheduling. And so that's something that I think is going to um, be a long lasting change, even once this virus is done, is the, the various platforms that we connect and engage and educate students and faculty and staff. Yeah, that is so true um, about like being able to connect to people that you wouldn't otherwise be able to connect to. I'm in this class called Restoration Case Studies. And once a week we have um, a natural resource restorer who comes in and talks to us about their case studies and stuff like that. And because they're all virtual, we can have people all over the country. So last week we had this lady from Florida talk about restoring the coral reefs. And it was so awesome because in Colorado, obviously there's no um, ocean ecosystem. Thing. And our professor is so excited about it. Cause he's like, we've never done this before. And this is awesome. And so, yeah, like there are benefits to being able to connect kind of worldwide almost. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and you think about it, this is, a, you know, another silver lining for some of our older students is that your workplace and your career options are vast now, right? You can reach out to a lot of different global companies, organizations, nonprofits, and they've probably through COVID had to think about how to do work remotely, or um, you, you know, you might be able to put yourself or advocate for yourself in front of a company, and they might fly you out to a new destination that you never thought of for a work experience. So there's a lot of things that you can capitalize on from employment to exposure to social connectivity. Yeah, I've definitely um, had a couple of conversations with my friends and family about how we are lucky that we live in a time that we do when a pandemic hit, because not too long ago, I wouldn't have been able to finish my college degree because there would have been no way to learn. 
Right. Now we have this amazing technology that like, I don't know, we're all different parts of Colorado right now. And um, we're, yeah. we're talking to each other. It's amazing. So yeah, it's good to think about the positives for sure. And I would hope that our students are actually saving money. So you can't go out and you're not spending money on gas as much. Some of the, you know, outing events and social outings that typically would happen, hopefully because you're staying at home and you're saving a little bit more money, which can help pay down debt or whatever the case may be. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different things if you, if you take time to, be, to think about it that you can be thankful for. Yeah, and I know we interviewed some student organization leaders in our past few podcasts, and they mentioned the same thing about bringing guests in from all over Colorado or from other states as well. So it's definitely, I think there's some good stories in there amidst the chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always a silver lining. There's always a pros to a con, so... So I know we've covered a lot today and we're nearing towards the end. Is there anything that you want to highlight or discuss that we haven't covered yet? No, I think this is just a great opportunity for students again to, to know that Warner college we're doing. a. There's plenty of things for students to be involved in if they so choose to, they can be a part of their DEI um, committees at the department level or unit level. Um, they can choose to be part of the organizations that we have with manners and seeds that are um, minority served organizations that really provide diverse viewpoints and looking at how to serve and be a part of those organizations. Um, again, reaching out to, um, you know, if you're a part of a chapter or a fraternity sorority here, reaching out and seeing if that chapter, if there's a chapter at another institution so you can make that virtual connection and understand what they're dealing with at their school and what ways can you connect and combine on uh, diversifying and, and, and improving your communities from two different perspectives. And so I would just encourage people to check out our website, really be mindful that there's a lot of great resources and tools and things that um, help students to know what to be involved in and where to be involved in for our students. And um, the last thing I say is I encourage any student, uh, WCNR student or anyone who has questions, to reach out to me at Ricky, R-I-C-K-E-Y dot Frierson, F-R-I-E-R-S-O-N at colostate.edu. And for my students, I have a 24-hour policy. If you respond to me, I respond back to you within 24 hours. Um, and we get something on the books um, to meet uh, because students are our priorities. So, you know, if you have ideas, if you have, if you have questions about where you can get involved, I really, really encourage anyone to email me and let's have a discussion and let's make sure you find a place that you can have a belongingness to and a, and a purpose to advance this work. That is awesome. We'll definitely have to make sure to link all of these websites that you've referenced throughout the podcast and for sure your email as well. Thank you. Uh, so I promise this is the last question, Ricky. No <laughs> um, but is there anything you're looking forward to in the future? Yes. So I'm looking forward. There's a lot of things I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the day that they say COVID is done and people are all going back. I think we should have a national holiday when it's, when it's all done. So people can just go out and really uh, put money back into the economy and really enjoy, you know, businesses and parks and things like that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to uh, next fall. Is, um, we plan on uh, rolling out our diversity minor. And for the college. And so that's something that I'm really excited for our students to get a really intentional education around diversity aspects and constructs uh, regarding natural resources. Um, and then I'm also looking forward to the continual work and advancement of our college to be a leading institution in, in, um, 
yeah, a leading institution in college um, to diversify natural resources and showing other institutions how to do this in a successful and pragmatic way. And so those are things I'm looking forward to is getting more diver, uh, diversity in our colleges, in our classrooms, um, getting more advanced degrees within these underrepresented communities and helping all of our students become advocates and champions of how to diversify their workspace and and and, and um, change policies and, and ways of being actionable around uh, DEI efforts. So those are things I'm looking forward to. I think we're doing a really good thing here at WCNR. I think we're doing a lot, but that's needed to lay the foundation to propel us to the national spotlight that we're to uh, claim. And so um, I'm just really excited for the fruit of our works a couple of years from now. Well, thank you, Ricky. Thanks for spending your time and talking to us today. We really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, well, that's all we have for this episode of Tune Into Nature. Tune in next time to jumpstart the spring semester with a Valentine's themed episode about why students around CSU love the natural resources. Have a safe and relaxing winter break, and we'll see you next year on Tune Into Nature.